0: Hey everyone, this is Identity3, a podcast all about Web3 and digital identity. My name is Nick, I'm the CEO of Doc, and it's my pleasure today to be joined by Kim Hamilton Duffy. Welcome to Identity3, Kim.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: No, my our pleasure, and the vast majority of people in the, I guess what we call self-sovereign identity or the, the decentralized identity ecosystem will be very familiar. Uh, you've had a, a lot of influence uh, on the technology and in the sector and and you certainly it seems like you, you've been working the space for almost as long as it's existed um but for those who are listening who are not quite familiar just a couple of quick highlights just to kind of by way of introduction and we'll maybe get into more um more of this as we go through but you're currently the director of identity and standards at the center consortium uh, you've been there for two years Um, and also in the World Economic Forum uh, for Digital Identity on the Technical Working Group. Uh, You're the chair of that group and you've been working in that role since, I think, uh, the start of this year. Uh, So, yeah, so it's a really uh, interesting position that you're sitting in.
1: Yes, thank you. It's um, very, I um, am enjoying getting a view, um, you know, with Center and um, our approach to to decentralized identity. It's a very, you know, sort of practical use case focus, but then the World Economic Forum, it's an opportunity to uh, think about and work on these longer lead problems as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Um, And so, as I mentioned, you're the director of identity uh, and standards at, at Center. Uh, Can you tell uh, me and also the kind of listeners what what Center is?
1: Yeah, Center is a member-based consortium. It was founded by Circle and Coinbase to provide shared governance for USDC, which is the U.S. dollar-backed stablecoin. And that's a stablecoin issued by Circle. So Center was founded to provide uh, the sort of open source, open governance uh, standards around it.
0: Yeah, and I think the interesting part is, is obviously the kind of stable coin um, is interesting in itself, but that it feels like that would open up a can of worms if we dug too much into that. And I think maybe more relevant for the podcast is probably getting into um, another of the main projects, which is Verity, uh, which is, um, uh, you know, another super interesting and, and high level project that the center are working on. Um, can you please let us know what, what Verity is and what it does?
1: Yeah, uh, Verity is interesting, it's uh, Center's second major standard that we push forth. So Verity is a set of open source protocols enabling secure, portable and privacy preserving approach to digital identity. Um, it's built on existing decentralized identity standards, which means we're not introducing a new, yet another decentralized identity standard rather we think of it as an open source toolkit that provides recipes and patterns that are focused on financial use cases for example know your customer kyc kyb or you know your business partner and um just lastly in case people aren't familiar with um decentralized identity or a, a, another synonym for it is self-sovereign identity It's a set of standards, technology, and principles that enable individuals to manage their identity data. And uh, we'll be getting into a lot more detail as the podcast unfolds. But you can think about the standards as allowing you to express a wide range of identity claims. So government identity docs, such as driver's license, proof of skills, education, employment, and then in the case of Verity, we're focused on ones like I, my credit score is this, um, I've passed through the the KYC checks of an institution, um, things like that.
0: Oh, very interesting. Um, and I think that from a, and even if we, we turn this into an individual context, because I think some of the the people that listen to Identity 3 are um you know garden variety internet users um kim uh, and so like i think what you explained there was um maybe a more technical use case as well but for for those at home that are maybe not um as as clued up on the the technicalities of of ssi like why should uh, an individual online care about about decentralized identity what, what does it get them
1: yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, and I'll try to tease that apart a, a bit. So, decentralized uh, identity in the context of, um, of finance, it's, it can help with, uh, with, well, it can help with both decentralized and traditional finance. So traditional finance um, regulations require financial organizations to collect and share your data uh, when you transact. And that's um, a variety of things, you know, anti-money laundering, uh, fraud prevention, things like that, um, you know, ensuring that you're not funding some um, illicit activity. So um, so that's, that's the case already with traditional finance. Um, and Right now we, in in most of the world, rely on what I'll refer to as paper ID. Uh, We don't have a a coherent solution to digital ID. We have at best pseudo-digital ID, which might be take a scan of your driver's license, upload it. So lack of a cohesive digital ID solution means that when you onboard to a new financial institution or transact, onboarding and re-onboarding so you're you're sharing those same original identity documents again taking selfies to prove that you're a live person and all of this leads to over collection and um so this proliferation of sensitive identity data uh, has resulted in fraud identity theft and so in traditional finance the way we talk about um you know sort of digital ID and then uh, with decentralized ID enhancements that it reduces friction and onboarding, but then also improves privacy. Um, in DeFi and crypto, it's a slightly different story. So, um, you know, people may be confused about why we're talking about identity in the context of DeFi. So, you know, originally with Bitcoin transactions, one of the the benefits is that they're pseudonymous. Um, It's associated with an address, not a a known person, even though you can sort of reconstruct the the graph of transactions. But for a variety of reasons, as the DeFi um, decentralized finance ecosystem progressed, there is increased interest in the use of identity. So um, for example, even if in the current state we're increasingly changing, where um, DeFi transactions aren't regulated, um, DeFi pools would want to attract institutional development and institutional investment. So for example, a lending pool might want to prove that they are keeping out um, OFAC sanctioned participants or any other types of participants linked to illicit activities. So or they might want to restrict to residents of certain locales just to comply with different regulations. So when we started Verity, we saw beginning attempts to apply identity traditional identity solutions to DeFi but the proposed solutions had shortcomings. So those might be, they're closed networks or you're locked in, you know, so you you have to buy into a certain brand of DeFi identity and you can't participate openly elsewhere. In um, and, and basically a lot of the solutions weren't solving the problem of oversharing or over-proliferation of data. And so when you combine um, sort of this collection of identity data with open, transparent, Uh, transactions uh, such as a blockchain provides, you get a real uh, disaster waiting to happen with people being able to learn everything about you. So um, that's where decentralized identity, which, you know, so decentralized identity is a certain, it's a a type of digital identity that's designed to put individuals in control of their data. And it's designed to minimize um, the potential for lock-in, increase privacy guarantees to um, reduce the risk that people can correlate a whole bunch of information about you that you don't want to share. Now this isn't to say that it is intended to run afoul of regulations. Uh, that's one of the key things about Verity. We designed it um, in, in step with uh, kind of regulatory requirements. So uh, just to summarize, um, the, the benefits of decentralized identity in this case giving individuals control of your over your data. So that could reduce friction and onboarding across new solutions um, and enhance the uh, effectiveness um, for, for institutions as well.
0: And I guess it's, I mean, it's difficult. When, we, when we've been talking to um, maybe platforms running or kind of uh, organizations or, or those in many cases running uh, DeFi platforms, I think there's more acceptance now of the fact that regulation is coming and they'll need to try and find a way of ensuring that they are compliant. Like we found that, I don't know if you've found this on your travels as well, Kim, but certainly a couple of years ago, it was a kind of ostrich syndrome where it was kind of put your head in the sand and, you know, we're DeFi, they'll, they'll never get us. But of course, um, regulation always finds a way, as we found out from, from the crypto industry. Um, so I don't know if that's an experience that, that you've found as well.
1: Yeah, definitely, and that's been um, really interesting to see. In fact, um, early when we were designing Verity, we had the opportunity to talk to people who were a combination former regulators, people who were um, involved in FinCEN, and what was really interesting was that um, everyone is very aware of the problems with traditional ID, and, and it seemed to be a really good time to rethink the way we deal with identity data, and so I think there is a convergence of a lot of interesting developments, including um, the mobile driver's license effort, which you know ended up being designed with some of the many of the principles of decentralized identity, such as um, reducing the 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 what we call phone home um to the issuer so that's a sort of thing like say you get an identity right now i have my driver's license and the um say i i use it to prove i'm of age or you know i I get pulled over something like that so a, a risk with digital driver's license or any digital document is say every time you use it if, if it ends up making a phone home or calling back to the issuer, then the issuer or whoever, you know, I use driver's license in that case, could be anyone. The risk is that some entity can learn a whole lot about your behavior. And we know from the existence of data brokers and stuff that this these our treasure troves, very valuable. And um, so these are the kinds of, of risks that regulators are aware of. And um, they were eager as well to, um, you know, uh, design a more, or, or be open to more holistic solutions um, in which people are, are more in control of their data.
0: Yeah, and it's important as well, like the, the phone home uh, way that I've often heard it phrase, it's uh, a nice way to think about it. Um, I mean, one of obviously the core tenets of SSI is to have the, the separate notion of the issuer, the holder, the verifier, and, and, and never the, the tweens you meet. So I think that's really an important aspect. And I think if regulators weren't there keeping an eye, we would get back what we already have. These systems where it is possible to track um, to a large extent what, what's happening, what people's movements are, and, and yet be ashamed to replace... All of that with the same again, so it's, it's good that we're we're going to. It feels like we're going in the right direction at least. Um, on Verity's website, there's there's a list of like several opportunities um, for this technology. Which one excites you the most, Kim?
1: yeah the most interesting is also the most challenging and um it's not it's not easy it's not overnight, but that's um the ability to enable finance to become more globally um inclusive and so um I wanna kind of tease that apart because it is sort of a glib statement that people say so um you know. Starting, again, from a a reference of paper identity and moving to digital identity. So paper ID in financial transactions slow and efficient leads to fraud. So digital identity, not even talking about decentralized identity, um, it's introduced as the ability to... Improve on the slowness and inefficiency, but um, so while it can reduce some forms of fraud, it can introduce others. Now, those can be mitigated, for example, through FIDO 2 standards, but the additional risks and harms that are brought in include um, ones that we've talked about so potential lock in, ability to track or surveil your online activities, but These are the parts where I think they're not immediately obvious to people. So um, a big risk with potential digital identity solutions is discrimination and exclusion. So um, if say benefits are dependent on you having a digital ID, Um, but you have a hard time accessing that digital ID. So what's an example of that? Suppose if only um, Google and Apple had a monopoly, or suppose just Apple had a monopoly on giving you access to your um, mobile driver's license. That's a high barrier to entry. So, you know, people on this call or listening to this podcast may not think it a problem to own an Apple iPhone, but, you know, suppose the, the, um, its device, it's having the latest, greatest device. So it's things like, um, de- dependencies like that, or in the case of, um, odd not to, not to, um, how do you say shame adhar because they've been very open about the the problems of rolling out their digital identity so certain maybe certain areas where the infrastructure is less available and so people are by default excluded and so the concern is that digital identity without careful thought and controls can actually accelerate or magnify existing forms of discrimination and inequality and and the risk is of course um maybe we naively are thinking oh wow it made my financial onboarding much much easier so it's done so you know if you think about it from a i don't know if even 80 20 is a fair way to solve it but if even if you think about it from the perspective it made life easier for 80 percent, but it made life a whole lot worse for 20 percent who are basically ignored so decentralized identity is um you know it is not we I uh, of course have talked a lot about the technical aspects of it but decentralized identity also exists as a set of principles that put individuals um, more in control of their data so um, one of the the kind of law of course with Verity we led in with KYC, KYB and and kind of markers of traditional uh, financial reputation scores but the same architecture enables um, a wider range of reputation signals. So instead of, say, K, instead of a, a traditional credit score, you could see a world where uh, proof of reliable payment history could be accepted. And there are pilots on these throughout the world. Um, so I'm teeing that one up as as saying, um, you know, that is the end goal for many of us in decentralized identity. It's not simple. It's not a simple immediate technology problem. It's an ecosystem problem. But that's really what's most exciting for me.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I think as well, there's... There's sometimes a discrepancy when people talk about the networks they have and decentralized identity. And many of these networks really focus on maintaining integrity of data on the network, but they don't link off and marry up real world identity. And like the reputation that you just mentioned a moment ago, it's really important that when we're thinking of, uh, you know, even like KYB, for example, that it's not just about able to... Uh, link uh, a claim to a company on chain. It's obviously important then to be able to link that to a real world uh, reputation of a a company or an entity. And so it sounds like that's obviously part of of, of what you guys are doing there at Center also.
1: It's it's part of our longer term, you know, part of, Of, of centers, founding principles is um, connecting everyone everywhere and, um, and certainly decentralize the sort of identity element is very key to it. And, and that's something that we're able to push forward um, in, in much more clearly or articulate in the context of the World Economic Forum work.
0: Oh nice, excellent. Um, and, yeah, and moving into kind of your work um, just now at Centre, so what are your goals then as, as kind of Director of Standards? Um, what are your kind of key things that you're trying to achieve?
1: So I joined Centre as the Director of Identity and Standards to help address the problems we were seeing in, in um, decentralized finance and, and identity solutions being Um, applied. So uh, what was interesting is seeing the uh, traditional identity approaches being applied and seeing, um, you know, or things like identity tokens, um, uh, NFTs, things like that. Um, You know, it was clear that people were um, trying very um, clever and, you know, kind of novel ways to solve identity. And um, you know there's there's a lot of there was a lot of discussion especially last year uh vcs versus soulbound tokens and that was
0: yeah i remember it well yeah there's lots of really good podcasts actually that came out of those discussions
1: exactly and i think um what was really interesting about it too was um you know a lot of the problem with the verify the, the ssi or decentralized identity kind of approaches was Um, Maybe we, uh, myself included, possibly came across as more uh, hand-wringing than um, (laughs) we intended to because, you know, in reality, there's just a lot more infrastructure that's needed to do these things off-chain. And so that's one of the nice challenges that I found, actually, about the DeFi space was that having a very active developer community means there's a very quick way to understand like how do i meet the needs of developers so it was a really good fit um and what i thought was decentralized identity approaches were a perfect fit to the needs of DeFi. all right so well aligned architecturally philosophically all of these um problems of sort of Designing open networks, designing interoperability, those were exactly the same language. So, um, so yeah, those were exactly my goals is to sort of have this use case and uh, that, that tightly inform and, and then provide and supply these solutions. The main benefit of the DeFi space compared to other areas where I had worked was that there was the full ecosystem. We had um, the issuers, the holders, and the relying parties or verifiers. Um, and that's in contrast to a lot of other use cases I had worked on where we were kind of in the state of wanting, of issuing everything credentials where you might use it here, you might use it there, but no one's asking for it, so it's not getting used. So, um, demand in being able to test out that full lifecycle in in lower stakes um, cases, and so what I mean by lower stakes is that um, we were able to tightly control, like say, the expiration date, and and make it so that what you don't want to do is get someone to rely on a new type of identity credentials, and then rug pull them by saying, okay, um, you know, we don't support that anymore. You're on your own. And so we were able to make sure that the use cases we were doing were very uh, sort of responsibly rolled out.
0: Yeah, and interesting. And, and like you said, like a big part of, of your work is standards, Kim, why are, I think these are maybe phrases that people hear, but they're not really sure what they are. Why are, why are standards so important for a new technology like, uh, like uh, SSI?
1: Yeah. So standards enable portability and choice to individuals. So um, it uh, means that you're not locked into silos. You're able to pack up and go. And I think that's especially relevant when you think of what's going on in the social media space right now. Um, you know, I don't know how many new social media uh, or, you know, Twitter-like networks I've signed up for. With each one, you're building a your new graph. And, um, you know, there, it's I'm oversimplifying it, but the standards that fall under the umbrella of decentralized identity applied to a a wide range of online interactions, So signing up for a bank account, join a new social network. And one of the goals is to be able to bring your identity and reputation along with it. And that can help reduce fraud or the, you know, the risk that someone's posing as you. Um, But also, you know, for someone who is making their the bulk of their living selling online, think like an Etsy seller or something like that. um, That can be really helpful. It's really common for, um, you know, sort of imposters to mimic the design and undercut at a much lower rate. And so um, these are all kinds of of problems that we want to make easier to solve.
0: So we touched on it a little bit earlier on, Kim. So we we talked about uh, your technical working group kind of chair of the Digital Identity at the World Economic Forum. And and like I said at the start, you've been been working there for, I think, probably six months or so, Um, and the organization recently published uh, an excellent report Um, It's called Reimagining Digital ID. And I just wanted to ask you kind of a a few questions about it. Uh, And you can check that out online at uh, at weforum.org for for people that are interested. But what are the most significant barriers to implementing um this decentralized identity technology and as a second part of that question kim how do you think that organizations can overcome them
1: yeah um that was a really um exciting part of this like through the the world economic forum so i was a um, head of a chair of the technical working group and we had a lot of participants in um, you know builders of decentralized identity solutions in um, more traditional identity space, but then there are a lot of people in Web three and DeFi contributing as well. And so um, you know a lot of the barriers that maybe I. Experience. it's good to sort of get, it was good to sort of pull that and really be able to articulate it more clearly. So what we found um, where everyone is struggling is, so the standards and technologies are new and, and there are very different approaches to decentralized identity to the point that we now have a, a term for, you know, sort of within the different um, variations, the, the best we can get right now is different profiles. Files of interoperability, and um, we, you might also call it a layer cake. But then I have a, a graphic that I use in slides to to refer to, refer to the um, SSI layer cake. So you cut into it, and it's like a nice layer cake. But then gummy bears and M and Ms fall out. It's just kind of a mess, right? So how where do you even start this isn't documented anywhere maybe you start with a you know you can't really start from looking at the standards and specs necessarily so maybe you start with say a certain vendor but then you you eventually run into problems so um that's a a problem like people don't know where to start and we need to do a lot better to uh, communicate that i think um in turn so that's in terms of you know someone looking to implement the technology because i think it's a good idea so in terms of um, vendors and implementers um, we don't do a good job of explaining of describing the value proposition or why it's even useful so so much of what we've done in the past is look at this it's blah but it's decentralized and that turns out not to be um, uh, compelling enough to to sell the the privacy uh, concerns are tend not to be top of mind until it's too late, and um, effectively we're um, competing with the status quo, and we need to sort of do much better. And then lastly, I think um, where things have historically been naive is implementing in the broader sense. So um, SSI back you know sort of its original formation i think was presented as a technocracy of you know everyone ha- has all of their data stored and you share just what you need with someone else but that runs afoul of existing regulations and so the messaging around a centralized identity did not meet well with regulators say um talk originally talking with um department of education officials who thought that this is just the worst possible idea because it can't be FERPA compliant. So these were all, we've gotten a lot, we collectively have gotten a lot better. We started teasing apart how decentralized identity fits with existing regulations, but so how to overcome that for organizations. Um, And we we talk about these in the World Economic Forum report. So I recommend checking that out, but to highlight some key ones um, in the technical world, there's really nothing to beat collaborating in the standards and discussion groups, um, and this really helps you keep your ear to the ground for developments. And also, I think one of the biggest categories of questions that I answer is just what are the things you don't really need to worry about so much. On you know, there's like maybe a million ways to do it. Um, maybe some group is, you know, two different groups are working on it. Sometimes your best option is just to. Get something good enough working, and then just wait. So, but it's hard to know like what to do. then. That. so that's where it really helps to have um, groups to to discuss those with. And those are those groups include Decentralized Identity Foundation or um, the W three C Credentials Community Group is open to the public. There's a lot of groups focused on um, interoperability efforts. And um, then, of course, there's uh, BLOCK's Web5 effort. They are doing a, a yet another profile of um, of decentralized identity standards, one that Verity actually happens to work well with. So there, there are communities, again, around all of these. Um, on the policy and regulatory side, a lot of um, great progress is being made, for example, in the EU wallet reference implementation. Um, that's definitely an area where you just have to keep your ear to the ground. So I think um, the, the unfortunate thing for now is just um, you have to stay pretty plugged in to know sort of what you need to sweat and what you don't. Because I think the the big I think uh, the way that many decentralized identity architectures were described initially seemed very boil the ocean. And that is a huge barrier to entry for organizations.
0: Especially as you say, like if, if, if the industry as a whole is not good at articulating the business benefits or the, the benefits to, to the stakeholders of that organization, we can't possibly imagine that the leaders of those organizations would sanction a, a fairly significant upheaval, like a boiling of the ocean, like you mentioned, if we're not articulating why they should go to all that effort. So yeah, um, yeah definitely hear what you're saying there. And then um, um,
1: yeah. on the even on the technical side, uh, if I were a security uh, professional at that company, I would argue it's a horrible idea. You definitely don't want to, um, you know, there's just so many risks involved with taking out a new technical stack. So there's a lot of reasons to, you know, move more carefully.
0: Yeah, you need to be everywhere all at once, it sounds like. And uh, it's it's challenging as well, because it's so fast moving from so many different places. It's It's If you blink, you'll miss something. So, but that's what makes it interesting at the same time.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Um, So Kim, and and just uh, the second point kind of the World um, uh, Economic Forum um, uh, publication that you put out. The other thing I was interested to understand was um, how do we ensure that a digital identity, Kim, is not used for data exploitation or to breach uh, people's um, data privacy?
1: so first i'll start by uh, going into what we mean by data exploitation and privacy concerns Uh, by that we touched on uh, the ability to correlate track it label and package you and sell that to other companies and data brokers and that exists now with our online interactions but with a digital identity that can happen on a much larger scale so whether that's through Um, you know, transparency enabled by blockchain transactions or even just movement to digital ID and the potential for what we talked about, whether phone home or potential tracking for any entity involved in the transmission or storage of your claims um, someone could build a very comprehensive picture of your online interactions and that could be very appealing to sell and um, you know especially as companies looking to move in this space are describing um, identity as moving from a a cost center to a profit center um, you know we need to be careful about the ways in which they're profiting off of this and ensuring the proper controls exist. And so the solutions are a blend of technical standards and solutions. Uh, those are, you know, largely associated with decentralized identity. Now, I also define decentralized identity as not just technical standards and solutions, but it is um, a set of, uh, of principles that need to be encoded in regulations. So things like, Um, FERPA, or or, sorry, um, things like um, GDPR um, or the California CCPA, uh, things like that, that um, put more, um, uh, give more guarantees or um, uh, assurances to individuals. So, um, but the last one I think is really around developing user-centered products as well so um but but breaking apart all those elements so decentralized identity is really good at focusing on the technical aspects so what it means to minimize disclosure of um you know say uh, preventing people from tracking you through using unique identifiers through every step of the way decentralized architecture so not storing all the data in one place so that it's so easy to uh, correlate um so at the same time though it it is more complex um decentralized identity uh, technologies when you um, you know naively the way you might interpret is to say, everyone's running their own infrastructure to store their data and they're not gonna do that. So that's a lot of technical complexity. So they might use some kind of, um, you know, service or provider to manage that for them. So um, we need the sort of safeguards, resilience in place, but then a much more than anything, a focus on end user um, usability. And so, um, you know, again, because, all of these need, you know, the, the, these do intersect with regulations, and there is a, a large amount of of problems that the technologies just can't solve. So, say even if I control, if say if I'm running my personal identity hub that sure sh- sh- stores all my credentials, all my data, once I share it, there's nothing to prevent. Whoever's using it from making a copy of it and doing whatever. And that's where the regulatory frameworks really come in. And so um, I think, you know, while it's maybe threatening to a lot of existing um, um, companies, I think these approaches that are based on consent and decentralization really do enable different economic models and um, they can lower the barrier to entry to compete on different things like, say, recommendation engines for new types of job opportunities. And so those are the kinds of things. Um, it's, it's sort of frustrating that it takes so long to get to the, the point where um, you know, we're still working on the early steps of putting people in control of their data. Once you have that, that's the really exciting part, where you can uh, start opening, opening up a whole new wave of innovation.
0: It is, and, and what you're describing there, like the, the many kind of pieces of the puzzle, if you like, to try and um, give companies um, the tools that they need to, the standards that they need to build with, but also putting in place the, the regulation that protects um, the individuals. Uh, the frustrating part for, for people building in the space is that they're so used to trying to build as fast as, as they possibly can, and the other, the kind of the compliance and, and um, the regulation, the standards, they just take time. Um, and it's something that, that that's probably the way it should be, because it allows you to properly assess the technology to make sure it's being implemented correctly, that the regulations are being well understood. And um, obviously often regulators don't necessarily understand technology well. So I think the frustrating thing as well is that it just takes time and people are trying to build quickly. So there's always seems to be that tension that exists there. So it's uh, it's never easy.
1: Exactly. And I think, um, you know, one thing, say, for example, if you live in the U.S. where there's not a comprehensive uh, data protection framework, um, you know, it's one thing that's been nice is the transitive effect of GDPR. So you can't put your head in the sand and say, uh, this doesn't affect me. I think, you know, while uh, sort of little details may be off or, you know, need to be clarified, I think that as a, as an architect, it is really easy to, um, sort of get immediately grasp the intent of it. And you can very quickly figure out how to, how to architect. And so, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the murkier areas really come down to sort of documenting and, um, your best intent of it. And, um, you know, keeping, keeping good records of all of this so that, you know, say you're wrong, you can address it going forward. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and we, you talked about being an architect there as well. And, and prior to your current roles, Kim, you were obviously the, the architect at the Digital Credentials Consortium at obviously the very prestigious MIT. Uh, and there you were deciding a kind of certificate system uh, that incorporated a blockchain within it. What are the biggest takeaways that you had from your time there that you've been able to um, use within your, your new roles? Uh, what, what did you learn? What were the kind of key takeaways that you had?
1: Yeah, I think um, what was there. There were a lot of aspects. Some of that I'll focus on is um, you know, in that role, we still struggle to find consumers of the credentials. So, um, you know, I think that the there was the the problem that I mentioned earlier of issuing everything credentials in hopes that someone can use it and so the obvious candidate would be um, employment systems or other educators Um, and I think that that was sort of it was hard to break into the sort of employment record uh, or HR systems space and everything so I think um, you know really that that unfortunately in, in we were able to over the time that we worked on it, um, be able to develop much more of a um, end-to-end use case kind of focus, and that's really key. Um, the reason you don't, one of the many reasons you don't want to issue everything credentials, so um, you know zero knowledge proof technologies and and things like that are, are moving forward, but the standards are still really new and um you know so the idea it's kind of risky arming people with massive amounts of identity data since these standards are kind of new Um, what you really want to do is design especially now is design around a use case and so that was where um, that was one area that we were able to really um, um, kind of refine so some examples might be so maybe a university would want to just issue a credential to their students saying I'm a student of this university so that they could access a gym or they could get benefits at a local theater and so it didn't need to have birth date all this other information it just needed I'm a student right and so that was really the key part I think um, so we really were able to line that up in, in Verity where we could say, um, you know, the relying parties of the verifiers need only this information, and, and so we were able to reduce verifiable credential content to say just some way of identifying the subject. They passed this defined business process as of this date, and it's revoked or not. Now, additional identity claims could be layered into that, depending on the use case. But you know, we were able to just sort of really refine that. So, um, but then the other thing is that the tech alone is such a small part of it. Um, governance, you know, especially as you move to regulated use cases, is really key. So um, there's that. Concern around reliance on these credentials, so say a KYC credential, things like that. Um, you know, you can't just issue a KYC credential, say like a, a centralized, a regulated financial institution cannot in today's world just issue a KYC claim in the U.S. and expect to have some other regulated entity consume that. There's all kinds of um, uh, re- uh, compliance requirements against that. So, um, So there's there's the governance that needs to be developed around it. Um, and then all of the sort of business processes and perhaps contractual agreements that are tied to it. So it's kind of a long, messy problem. Um, so, but that's why you have to really be use case focused. So,
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think that sometimes can be s- part of the... the the good and the bad of, of this technology, it can be used everywhere, but because it can be used everywhere, sometimes it's difficult to narrow down. So it's a bit of a paradox at times. Uh, Kim, I feel like we could uh, literally I could talk to you for hours and hours, but I'm conscious that, that of, of your time, certainly. Um, so my final question to you is, um, where do you see this technology in 10 years time?
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll break it up briefly into near-term, intermediate, and then hopefully within 10 years. So near-term, um, I do think that we're going to see decentralized identity being used in more mainstream identity solutions. So that includes um, OpenID, OpenID Connect implementations that are bringing in um, verifiable credentials and decentralized identity principles. Um, overall, I think that um, these standards are helping to nudge many other standards in the direction of privacy and transparency. So that's in contrast to sort of proprietary implementations that have existed. So that these are things that mobile driver's license efforts are really kind of helping or uh, confronting. And then these standards are starting to help influence. Um, and we're gonna start seeing them used in a, a range of government identity documents, and we see that in the especially ES, U.S. and EU, like in the um, EU wallet efforts, in the intermediate time frame, we're going to see. Um, these approaches being used to ease onboarding. So maybe avoid resharing same identity data, improve portability across institutions. Then in in 10 years, hopefully, otherwise I wouldn't be working in this space, is that we can achieve uh, some of the more ambitious goals that we've discussed. So financial inclusion, and ability to rely on a wider range of reputation, skills, and competence signals.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess they say you kind of overestimate what you can do in the short term and underestimate it in the long term. So so let's hope that's the case, Kim.
1: True, yes.
0: <laughs> great. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for coming on to Identity3, and uh, we'll hope to speak to you again soon.
1: Okay, thank you so much. It was great talking to you.
0: Yeah, cheers.